Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both our partners are quadriplegics, and after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. So you must be thinking, what is the goal with this group? Our goal is and has always been to establish and nurture a strong network of women around the world who understand and support one another while navigating the SCI life. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission with this podcast is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the WAGS of SEI podcast. Here we go. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases. And they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay. Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WAGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WAGS of SCI sent you. This episode is sponsored in part by Camp Possibility. Camp Possibility is a one-week adapted camp for adults aged 18 to 40 who have spinal cord injuries and their partners. The week-long camp hosts many adaptive activities, including alpine tower climbing, canoeing, belly kayaking, zip lining, adapted sports, cabin time, bonfires, a dance night, and more. Camp Possibility runs from August 1st to 6th, 2021 and takes place in Martinsville, Indiana, just south of Indianapolis and is attended by campers all over the USA. The best thing about signing up registration is mostly covered with coordinated donations and grants and its easy payment plans can be set up if needed. Once at the camp, each camper is provided with one volunteer to help them during their whole week's stay with transfers, ADL needs, and activities. Camp Possibility also provides each camper with all the necessary medical supplies for the week, including catheter, bower program, daily skin checks, and meds. They've got you covered. All volunteers and medical staff are fully trained in spinal cord injury needs. 
this is a great opportunity for Wangs and their partners to go and relax and enjoy their time as a couple in a fun setting for the week without any stress of caregiving. It's something you can both really look forward to. For more information, visit camppossibility.org. That's camppossibility.org. Or email lauren at camppossibility.org. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, or you can contact us at wagsofsci at gmail.com and we can connect you. Hurry as registration begins February 1st until all 24 spots are filled. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Brooke Paget and Elena Pauly. We are coming at you today with a very interesting topic that is something that came up over the holiday season. So what are we getting into today, Elena? Yeah, I mean, this topic is around accessibility issues and what friends and family need to know about accessibility. Um, as you had mentioned previously here, this ca- this comes up actually quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I know I made a quick little post on our private Facebook group, uh, Wags of SEI private discussion group around this, and it just flooded in so many responses and so many comments around this. And I think the reason why it's really important to bring this up is because I feel like our friends and family want to help, but they don't know how they can help after your partner sustains a spinal cord injury. They don't know, I guess, the different challenges we face when it comes to accessibility, Um, whether you're invited to a restaurant to go join your friends for something to eat from spending time at home with your parents with your family um, maybe spending like a weekend with them the things that need to be provided it's there's a vast list of things that we come across um, accessibility issues that we come across really challenging situations that we come across yeah, for sure. And I think um, the holidays is a time when this comes up a lot, especially when you're seeing your close family. I know this year there were smaller Christmas gatherings, but people were still seeing their families and still going away to visit their families in their local areas. Um, and that brings up a lot of stuff because, you know, like we always talk about, I, I know Evan and I have a rule where we don't travel anywhere unless it's minimum for two nights, because the effort required to bring our equipment and the stress that it takes to travel is too much for one night. And so I know that this is a big thing in the community. And especially, you know, I know you probably want to get into the story about how this came up for you and the frustrations that arise when you and Dan had traveled to see his parents. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, so I mean, through when COVID first hit, which was in March-ish for us here in Vancouver, British Columbia, where Brooke and I are from, um, we happened to be at Dan's parents' house when that first happened. So we were really unsure of what was going to happen back in the city. So his parents live in the burbs, we live in the city, and we live off of the main drag that's like a main vein through the city it's called like west broadway anyway so dan and i were really uncertain of as to how serious um covid was and if we should be around a lot of people so we ended up staying out with his parents in the suburbs for three months um it was really great to have somebody else to be able to share you know meal planning with cooking with 
because we played lots of board games. Um, his parents have like a an elevator sort of lift outside of the, their home because their home isn't accessible by ramp. They have stairs. It's like an older home that they've remodeled and it's quite beautiful. It's really lovely. It's very Martha Stewart. But with that comes the inaccessibility as well a little bit so that was really great so for us I was like you know we feel really safe here we're not cooped up in a little apartment we have the opportunity to stay and be in a yard and it was we stayed there for three months so it was like summer it was really great um that being said there are a lot of other things that also came up for us then and once again around Christmas and one of them being is you know wherever you go like like I was saying earlier, whether it's a bathroom or sorry, whether it's a restaurant, you're looking for an accessible bathroom because in in my opinion, having being able to eat, sleep and use the loo is quite important for all of us. And as you know, for many, many of our partners, for all of our partners, going to the bathroom and doing these things takes a lot more time and effort um, than it does for us when we decide we need to go pee we just quickly you know hop up and we just go so yeah so anyway so that came up a lot for us and of course the bed and I know his parents have have really tried to adjust the bed it's a regular bed it's not a hospital bed but you know they've lowered it they've raised it just to see how we can transfer properly from Dan uh, being able to transfer by himself with a sliding board and vice versa and I think this time around we really noticed that the bed was too low so now that it's been lowered for him to transfer it's also at like around my knee height so when I'm getting him dressed in the morning and whatnot I'm really pulling 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 all over and then he can't sit up by himself so I pull his arms forward I think the biggest frustration that came up for me was that I've injured myself I've I have a, a chronic strain in C and T spine and I keep on kind of, it's really tough because when you hurt yourself, you don't really want to move a lot. You want to, you know, I haven't been on my exercise as much as I should be. Haven't been going to the gym in the last year because of COVID. Anyway, so long story short, that's something I've been working on with um, my chiropractor is kind of fixing myself up a bit. But then every time we decide we want to go stay at his parents' house, these injuries present themselves again, just from me not having the proper strength. And again, doing maneuvers like getting somebody dressed at, at knee height and, of course, the bathroom situation, which is a small bathroom that when he has his wheelchair in there, he can't shut the door. But let's, let's like, quickly go over the, the amount of transfers that you have to do in that certain situation, because I, yes. Yeah, so I was just gonna get into that. Um, so he can't close the door with with the with the bathroom, like if he's in the bathroom with his wheelchair. So that just kind of shows you, demonstrates the small space that that has a shower and a toilet and a sink, right? That's the entirety of the bathroom. So the the transfers that we have to do with the sliding board is from his chair onto the commode over the toilet, back off the commode from the toilet, back into his chair. Then he has to exit the bathroom. So I can take the commode and put it in the bathtub. Then he has to transfer back on the commode and into the bathtub, shower, do his thing, and then back out again. And then back on the bed to get dressed, and then back out again. Which is, it's a lot. It's Yeah, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. It's doable. Like, I know, you know, like, yes, we, we've been doing it. We did it for three months. Then we did it again through Christmas again. Um, it's doable, but it's not practical. And it's not smart. And for anybody who's listening... 
has these kind of transfers. Um, unless you are trained by an OT from rehab, how to do things properly, I don't suggest it because it's a lot on your body, especially when, you know, sometimes you're tired, you're like getting into bed, you're like, oh, I'm just tired, or you've had a couple of drinks, you just, you're, you, you just kind of, you know, kind of don't pay attention quite as well from your joint movement to your body movement to all the mechanics around that. So well, and, and um, not to mention, you know, it's, it's awkward transferring someone who's tall and bigger than you, um, who has, you know, like it's like dead weight, mm-hmm. right. Especially for the higher levels. Like it's, you can't, even if you're doing it properly, the human body is not designed to move somebody else in that way in those positions, even if you're doing it properly, it's not sustainable. Right. Right. No, absolutely. For anyone. And I, and I think like, so anyways, long story short, I had a big blowout on Christmas Eve. It was like not the right time. My delivery is not always the best uh, when it comes to inaccessibility and frustration. And I feel like being the, the partner to somebody in a wheelchair, you're there to witness all the frustrations all throughout the day, every day. For us, it's been five years of whether it's public transit, there's only one spot on the bus available for public transit for a wheelchair. And, you know, you have to wait for the next bus. So then it's like you're running late. How do you plan for that when you've got a schedule? Sometimes, you know, we when we even went to Whistler once and they, they told us that Whistler is like an amazing part of, I guess, BC. I want to say that's where the Olympics took place. So there's a lot to do. It's beautiful. It's in nature. They have all sporting events out there. You can go skiing. You can go mountain biking. It's just a great, like, touristy area. And we went out there, I think it was last year or the year before, to be a part of um, a CIBC a great event they put on for the weekend where you could try adaptive activities, such as, like, adaptive kayaking, paddle boarding mountain biking and i remember going out to eat with dan and then we came we wanted to grab a cab an accessible cab to come back in and they told us sorry we don't run on the weekends or after five so it's like you know so there's there are so many different challenges in the present world that all of us continuously face that it's at one point, do you just absolutely lose it? And I hate to say that. I hate to admit that. That is definitely something that I'm working on and have to work on because I can't just, you know, five years of holding it in and making do repeatedly and then you just combust. And that's basically what happened. So I did end up driving home by myself and spending Christmas alone, which was totally fine. I needed to do that. I needed to reflect on why I was feeling a certain way and take some responsibility for that. But I think what happens and when I shared this on our Facebook group, what happens is, you know, when you deconstruct why the situation happened the way it did is our partners there. I don't know if it's just like the masculinity, you know, that, that feeds our, the notion of like, you have to be so tough and you just have to struggle and you have to tough it out and don't make a big deal and don't say anything or if it's you know you're protecting other people's feelings you don't want to make a big deal and it's your family I don't know what it is but um I believe what had taken place here is you know him not speaking out for what he truly needed to be successful and all the reasons why he can't be at his parents by himself need to be talked about because he does need he needs me to be there to help him do these things but I can't keep on injuring myself and that was another question that came up 
as a family for us was how do we get nursing into the home so that Elena doesn't have to do this? And I very openly said, you wouldn't be able to hire a nurse to come to your home because it's not adapted. It's not, this isn't safe. So when I transfer him in the bathroom, I'm standing in the bathtub transferring him across from chair to toilet. Yeah. And no nurse would be able to do that. (laughs) Nope. Sliding around, slipping around. And it's just like, yes, it's doable. We did it. We've done it. We've done it for long enough that now it's kind of like something really needs to change because it's, and also the, you know, the, the whole topic of and conversation around resentment comes up as well and anger. And that's not something that I want to be feeling towards family, right? Because they are good people. They mean well, but at the very base of this, it's how our partners deal with not speaking up for themselves and their needs and being very blunt. Like when I, like I said, when we shared this on our Facebook group, we got over 50 messages of women saying, yep, same here, same here. How family, you know, hasn't either adjusted, some families haven't adjusted, or maybe they're in denial of the injury, um, or maybe they can't afford it, which is absolutely understandable not everybody has money to build ramps and adjust everything or maybe they think that you're doing okay so that they just kind of leave it alone and just let you do your thing I guess I mean I'm not entirely sure but I know that it's a huge problem within our community um at one point you know what point do you just say hey I need help and just very clearly say, deal with it. And then it's like that conversation is over. Just speak up for yourself, advocate for yourself so that your partner, wife or girlfriend isn't a breaking their back or feeling all these yucky feelings around like, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Yeah. I mean, all we can do and all our partners can do is take more responsibility on for their own selves, right? That's literally all you can do. You can't force someone else to change for you. You can't, you you can only go so far with that mentality of like, well, if I don't say anything and I don't make a big fuss and I won't be a burden on people and that'll make people feel better because it actually has the opposite effect in the, especially in the long run. But like what I hear and what I see in the community, especially like with all those comments and, you know, from what I've heard from other women and how I've spoken to you is I see a few commonalities. I see conditioning, very deep conditioning from childhood that has a lot to do with your worth as a man and what you should be able to do as a man. And, you know, a lot of that is changing in this generation because it's old school thinking, that toxic masculinity thing of the man is the provider, the man is the strong one, the man can't show any vulnerability or else he's weak. Um, I don't think that's an issue in today's in in our future generations. I don't think that's going to be as much as an issue. But, you know, from our parents perspective, that's how they were raised, right? And, you know, even till about a few years ago, that's how, you know, that's mainstream thinking, right? Until right. people change, right? So I see conditioning, I see denial. Um, and denial is a necessary stage of this injury. I mean, everyone goes through it. It's a process where you're trying to get familiar with your new life. Um, but also denial helps you cope. Denial helps you to th- make things not a big deal for yourself because you think that'll help you. But of course it doesn't, but it is necessary, right? And everybody goes through it. Mm-hmm. And right. So with that denial comes the whole, oh, you know, this isn't a big deal. Uh, I don't need you to adapt your house to suit my needs. I want to be incognito and we can function in the background and nobody else needs to be disturbed except you're putting that on your partner, 
right? He's you know, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it actually kind of reminds me of a story um, that Dan and I also experienced. It was the first year of his injury, and we decided that we were going to visit my hometown, Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada here, which is, I would say, a climate similar to like Napa Valley. And they're very, you know, um, really full of vineyards and orchards. And it's just like that very desert dry climate. So Dan and I went out to visit my mom in Kelowna. And while we were there, we decided, oh, there's this great little kangaroo farm that they have here in Kelowna. Why don't we break it up between... Um, dealing with my mom who's quite sick to kind of giving a bit of a break. So we went to this kangaroo farm. It was something like 36 degrees um, outside Celsius. Uh, Celsius. So 36 degrees Celsius and it was a hot, hot day. And I remember while we were there, we were going to meet my friend who was going to come join us. And at that time, Dan had actually, um, I think his like leg bag leaked or something and we were having major issues we needed to like change him and I remember looking around thinking okay I see one building here on this property I'm gonna go ask them do you have an do you have a bathroom we can use do you have an accessible bathroom and at that point they pointed us to the accessible bathroom that was outdoors so an accessible like bathroom um so we were kind of like, well, I guess we don't have any options here. And I remember having to change him in this accessible bathroom that was like scorching hot of like 40 degrees at that time. And I remember that was like my first introduction to an accessibility in terms of sure, you have this like accessible porter potty outside, but for somebody with a spinal cord injury and you know, regulating your, your body temperature in this emergency of a state where it's like his lap is like covered and we need to get him changed. It was kind of, I was shocked, right? I mean, I was, I was quite, a, quite upset that this was kind of the conditions that people with disabilities have to, have to go through is, is it wasn't right. He needed to transfer out of his chair onto a bench. There was no bench in there. It's like he had to transfer off into like porta party like toilet like I had to, had to like lift him up and that was my first introduction and I was already almost at, at my wit's end and then this summer we we went to a sunflower farm and we went to he wanted to use the accessible porta party again outside and you know he he's sitting there waiting oh it looks like it's in use it's in use and then this girl just comes out she's decked like all out and she walks out of there and all the other toilets were completely free but she decided she was going to use the accessible bathroom so again it's like this conversation of accessibility is denied your access is denied I hear this story from Dan often when he would go to university and college um, and he would have to go do a catheter in between sometimes during class when you got to go you got to go and he does his own catheters and he's sitting there, he's waiting outside of uh, outside of the accessible bathroom. But the accessible bathrooms are now also non-gendered, the whole bit, so anybody can use them, these, these specific stalls. And he's sitting there, and he's waiting, and he saw, one time he saw a girl coming out after he, you know, he's knocking on the door, and then he hears quick flush, and then the girl comes out after doing her makeup. Or a professor comes out from using the bathroom. So it's like all of these little things... Um, uh, five years of build-up of inaccessibility. Hey guys, let's take a moment to highlight a cause that is near and dear to our hearts. For the love of parking led by our ambassador, Rebecca Mina is an advocacy media outlet that focuses on creating awareness about disability access while also sharing access to important information 
from our community. For the Love of Parking encourages their followers to tag them in any access barriers or issues in order to add to the virtual diary that is being created for the end goal of updating ADA laws. Head over to the website where they have tons of great information, including medical grade percussors. In fact, both of us use them for ourselves and our partners. Percussors help to reduce inflammation, move the lymph, help with spasms. They also assist in bowel and bladder care and so much more. Did I mention that it makes massage easier on our hands? Use code WAGS of SCI on the website for a discount. You can like and follow For the Love of Parking on Facebook and Instagram and use hashtag don't park like a punk. How many times have you and Evan wanted to go somewhere? Like you guys wanted to go vote recently and there were he he couldn't get in to vote. Well, that was the worst because they put on the voting card that a handicap sign that says it's accessible. And then we show up and there's like three big stairs. So that was interesting. But, you know, I. But this I, happens all, all the time, right? It's like even going to a restaurant. You want to go to a little boutique restaurant or your friends from out of town invite you to go for something to eat. And you have to call ahead to see, hey, is your bathroom actually accessible? I know it says on your website that you're accessible, but are you really accessible? What does really accessible mean like? Well, is your door wide enough? Can your wheelchair fit underneath the table properly? Um, are you able to even walk up? You know, there's usually a stair or two. I've even had some friends say, well, we can just carry him up the stairs. And I know they mean well, but it's at what point do you just have enough? Why is this world not set up for accessibility? If we all had ramps to use, we could all use them. People who are walking, who are not walking, people can do freaking cartwheels up and down the ramp if they wanted to. But when you create stairs, it's literally access denied. Yeah. And honestly, it's we have like a big running joke in the community about like how, you know, when we sign up for a hotel stay or we book a hotel and it says the accessible room and this is accessible with a roll in shower, how you never really <laughs> know what you're going to get. <laughs> like you you call the hotel and even after that, the staff aren't educated in what accessible means. So you have to get into detail to the point where it's just so stressful that people just don't travel as much because you got to talk to the housekeeper. You got to talk to the manager. You got to talk to people who understand what room under the bed means. I remember Evan and I's first trip was to Mm -hmm. Seattle. It was to Seattle. And this was two months after he was out of GF strong. We decided we would take the train down to Seattle and we would order some rental equipment in Seattle, have it delivered to our room, and I will call them out. We stayed at the Pan Pacific in Seattle. And we booked a room. It was supposed to be the accessible room with a roll-in shower. And this was our very first trip. We showed up. We didn't have our car, my cars. We literally, like, <laughs> what came from the train station with all our luggage. Um, and then we showed up, and the, it was a platform bed. And there was, it was so low to the ground, I would say mid shin level to the point where I was just like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to transfer you manually because it's that low. And then, you know, the Hoyer lift was there waiting for us. We couldn't use the Hoyer lift because the bed was a platform and it was, it was too low. And then the shower chair was there and there was a literally a seven inch lip to get into the shower. And that was considered accessible to them. And so when I went downstairs and I said, listen, this isn't accessible. Like I, I, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to do my partner's routine on the floor into a, into a bucket or in the bed. And I really graphically described it. And so 
then they said, okay, well, what we can do for you is give you room service. Uh, that's always the answer that we hear is like, oh, I'll just give you room service. Right. Literally yeah. every stay is room service. But then it's like, that doesn't really solve anything. And this has happened to us a dozen times, at least, where we show up and the staff were not educated and they don't know. And they say yes to things that should not be said yes to. And, you know, I hope that it, if you get things that I... I know that if you get things in writing, it can be more helpful over email, but sometimes you don't get to do that. Sometimes you have to call and you get transferred to four different people and this and that. But at the end of the day, what I am seeing over the past six years is that the problem is not in the fact that everything is not quite accessible yet. The problem is, is that people in the disabled community are so afraid and caregivers alike I'm not isolating disabled people. I'm talking about people in the community in general. I am guilty about this as well. Um, they are not okay with voicing what they need and what their concerns are. And this is the problem. This is why society goes like, this is why people that aren't disabled go into the disabled stalls because they right. haven't been confronted and told, listen, this is not okay. This is what this is yeah. for. This is why we need it. Um, and that goes for anything that goes for family that goes for friends. You know, we're all mm -hmm. conditioned to not make a fuss. We're all conditioned to stay in our own little bubbles and not put up a fuss or else we're being annoying. I, I've, I've been told so many times by my husband, Oh, Brooke, stop making a big deal about it. Let's just go away. Let's just slink away and not make a big deal about it because we're being a nuisance. And that's how we've been conditioned in society to be. And if, there's been enough years of this. I know Rebecca Minna um, on For the Love of Parking this past week has been going into detail about the history of dis disability discrimination um, over the years. You know, she was posting stuff about the Middle Ages and the stuff that was known about how, you know, the disabled were considered a nuisance to society. You know, in, in Nazi Germany, they were experimented on. Um, they were they're just considered lower class mem members of society. And this goes for everything. It's a huge topic. This goes for every aspect of society when it comes to benefits, when it comes to paid caregiving. You know, we're not taken seriously. But that is in part due to the fact that, you know, we have not been upfront enough um, and educated right. people in a in a classy way. There's a difference between yelling at somebody and of educating course. them and explaining to them, this is why this is happening and this is why. And that spreads, right? It's like telephone. Well, and the thing is, being able to, again, going back to the topic of delivery, like I said, my message was not delivered. I don't feel quite well. It ended up with me in tears and going to bed and then driving home the next day. So, I mean, it's all about delivery. Delivery. Like you said, Rebecca Mina does an amazing job at handing out for the love of parking little stickers to people who are taking up accessible spots, parking spots, whether you are sitting in your car having ice cream or sending a text or you are a food delivery service like DoorDash. We see this quite often and it's frustrating. It sucks. And I mean, you know, I completely understand where people just completely lose it because it's like a daily thing it's so frustrating why does life have to be so difficult like it's frustrating and it's really frustrating being the the partner standing beside this allowing you know this to go down but also seeing the reaction of your partner it can be really you know bothersome and I know even my mom when I talk to my mom about stuff like this and she has Parkinson's and she, she does use a, a wheelchair um she doesn't need to but she does like she does use a wheelchair but 
but a more hospital wheelchair rather than like a manual chair or power chair. And she always says, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. I'm like, okay, you need to get, you need to literally ditch that mentality because you're not doing anybody a favor. A, you're not being honest of what you actually need. B, you're not giving any room for education or spreading knowledge to what you actually need and what life really looks like for you. And then see what about everybody else who you could be helping and creating a bigger voice with and around so that other people after you get exactly what they need and deserve. And I recently had a walk with a good friend of mine. She's an OT in, um, at VJH here, she's an OT and um, her partner is a, so she's a, she works in acute spine as an OT um, and her partner is also a C6 quadriplegic. And we were talking about even, you know, getting hours for, um, for care. How do we advocate to have enough hours for our partners to have proper care when you're being assessed when you first come out of rehab um, what does that look like in terms of, you know, time task analysis and being able to fill that out correctly? So your your daily living is not burdened by the things you can or cannot do. And she said to me really clearly, she's like, hey, you know, there are so many people in our local community here in Vancouver who are quadriplegic, quadriplegic C4, 5, 6, and so forth who don't have any assistance at all, who do not ask for assistance from the government for a care care aid, who don't pay any assistance of having a nurse coming in. They just want to do it on their own. And I applaud that. I think that's great. That's lovely. But that's not for everybody. And you also have to think about long-term effects. Long-term effects on the person's body who is injured of doing everything on their own. For instance, if you're continuously doing sliding board transfers as opposed to using the Hoyer lift um, or the, the ceiling lift, then what does that look like for you long-term? And a lot of, a lot of quads have shoulder and back pain and, you know, arm pain from even pushing your manual chair by yourself, which again, I get that you want to be strong. You want to work out. You want to try things on your own. You want to have agency over yourself as much as you can. I absolutely understand that. But for the rest of us who are continuously fighting to get the hours that we need for proper care, they're just simply not there because of the population that the rest of the population who are saying, I don't need it. I don't want it. Right. So then when you go from a professional aspect of gaining the proper care you need from a nurse coming in to assess you or having the OT come in to assess you, they're going to say, well, when I go back to my handbook, my guidebook, it says that for a C6 quad, you only qualify for four hours or two hours a day of assistance, whereas a private OT is coming in and they're looking at you, specifically you, and they're saying maybe you need eight hours a day of assistance. So that's where it falls through the gaps again, um, where it falls on the caregiver, the, the partner to pick up the rest of the pieces and then how do we protect ourselves as the caregiver and partner to help our partners throughout the day for the hours that they are not um, getting and how are we able to do that properly all this help properly when we're not even getting benefits when we injure ourselves so there's a big big you know big gap there well you know and we know that all of these assessments quote assessments that are done by the government body that is 
administering the benefits or the insurance company that is administering the benefits. These assessments are done by them. If you were to go to an occupational therapist and, you know, we've talked about this so many times, Elena, on the podcast, if you're going to, to go to an independent licensed occupational therapist and have them do a proper assessment on the level of care needs that for you the need individual for the individual yeah. they would never come back with two to four hours I'll never forget like uh, when Evan was in rehab I met a guy there who was c4 who was out in the community and he was talking about independent home support programs available where we live um, which is basically like hiring your own care aids for those of you who don't know hiring your own care um, in your own city Um, And the government subsidizes that. So he was talking about how he was approved for eight hours per day of assistance as a C4 quad. And he was saying how much that was. And he was super excited. And I said, well, what do you do at night? Because this guy is not independent. He needs help. He says, well, my, my caregiver puts me in bed. I have my button to call. If there's an emergency, I slap it with my wrist. It's right beside my pillow. Um, But sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes it does work. I don't know. He was very, like, nonchalant about it. And he said, I can't get myself out of bed. I can't transfer myself. I can't move for 8 to 10 hours. I'm left completely alone. He's like, I'll never forget my first week of this new schedule because I can't afford to hire another nighttime caregiver and I wasn't approved for the hours. I laid there on my back, can't get myself water. I'm just literally stuck to my bed and getting over that mental hump of I'm completely alone. Mm -hmm. And if this button, if this panic button falls off my pillow and something happens, I'm completely alone. And he's like, getting over that mental hurdle was super tough for me. And I looked at him and I'm like, why should you have to get over that mental hurdle? Why on earth is someone who cannot move themselves? This is a fire hazard. This is a, this is a death trap. If something right. happens, why on earth are you not approved for somebody to either be on call or someone to be there for at least a couple of hours to, to help you with your quality of life as a person? And he was just kind of stumped. He's like, well, I get eight hours. I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's like they take what they're given and they think that's the last answer. And that's years of that in society has made it so that that's all you get. Well, and I, I don't know if you're, well, of course you remember. So I got, remember when I got the position, I took on a job to see if I'd be able to be hired as a caregiver for somebody else, um, just for my own books, because I just wanted to kind of tick that off the list. So I was, I got a position. Yeah. And just to give the listeners a little background in case they aren't caught up, um, we are both independently, um, and together working on getting, proper payment and proper benefits for being recognized caregivers for our individual insurance and government programs. We're working with uh, Robin Wishart, our lawyer, um, and they're kind of like human rights complaints, but we're working on that. It's going to take a while, but that's kind of her advice was go and get hired using your qualifications to have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, bigger piece of the legal process is that it's not even individualized that we're working for. We're paving the path for future caregivers who are taking on that role, who right. are, you know, after, after care goes home, if you have care with your partner, um, you know, you're not drowning in tears, sitting by yourself in the bathroom crying because you're like, what is happening? I'm the only one here. I don't have the the proper medical training. I don't have the proper training to be by myself 
myself with my partner. So from both Brooke and I and many of you women listening right now, you know what it's like to figure out what the next proper step is to care for your partner. I mean, we learned how to do the transfers, the sling in rehab, how to shower partners and commode in rehab. Um, we've done wound care. We've done, you know, stretches. We've done, we've done it all with our partners, the bowel program. We know how to do catheters. We know, you know, we know how to look for signs of AD. We know how to deal with, even a lot of us know how to deal with pressure wounds. So these, these are quite, uh, they're big tasks to take on for somebody who's, you know, for us, for instance, for us, we packed our bags to go to Cuba on vacation. Next thing I know, I'm doing all these other things. And so the bigger scope of this particular challenging situation of not having any recognition as a caregiver or a partner who is a caregiver, and a lot of us have had to leave our jobs and, and take on that to help with, you know, the little bit of care that we are provided, taking over for the for the healthcare workers to give them a bit of respite, especially with COVID nineteen right now, guys. Uh, many of us, you know, we're we're under some stress trying to keep our guys home safe as well as ourselves. So there should be some sort of um, recognition for that. I know that there, there is isn't. a benefit. <laughs> Right. I know that there is a a benefit for people who are taking care of people who are already infected with COVID. There is a bit of that, but there isn't anything for us as caregivers and partners to somebody who's been having some very serious medical issues for a very long time. So anyways, getting back to my story. Sorry, this happens often. I have a lot of stories for you guys. Um, So I got hired to work with a woman here in Vancouver. She said she was a quadriplegic with MS and that she needed somebody to come for weekends. So I was like, hey, I've got my weekends. I will give this time to go in and learn something new, go be with somebody else's caregiver, um, see what the life of caregiving for somebody else looks like. And I think I've even told you very explicitly that caring for somebody who's not your partner, it can be very difficult. Um, you know, I know how to do dance care. That's Basically, what I've kind of figured out from the whole experience was that I'm comfortable doing dance care. Am I comfortable doing the bell program or a stim for somebody else? I really am not. Um, that's just me personally. I have a weak stomach as it is. And that was part of my duties when I worked with this female was to come in, check her diaper, make sure she was okay, and then change her. And and what I realized through through process of this was, you know, I come in, um, I get her out of bed, I dress her, do that, put on her pressure stockings, put on her socks, her slippers, her pants, like really dress her from get her out of bed. Basically, she was on a um, air mattress that, you know, pumped the air through it. Um, and then I would put her in her sling into her, her power chair, take her down in the elevator. And then of course, it was a very regimented system where she wanted she like things a certain way then I would go downstairs she would pick a recipe from a cookbook I would cook it for her I would feed her I would help her brush her teeth her face wash her face everything medication if she wanted to cook something for somebody else I would be the one cooking it for her to give to somebody else then I'd organize her entire day for the next day where are you going who are you seeing um stuff like that so I did that. I didn't last very long. I lasted a couple of weeks um, because I, you know, it's quite demanding, definitely demanding to care for somebody else um, in that way, especially when the other person 
has a bit of attitude, it can be a little bit tough, you know? So, um, I did want to have that experience under my belt just to say that I did have it, but that is my biggest takeaway, even working with her. And I saw how she was comfortable with me pivoting all these weird ways and getting me to, to do things that I knew weren't safe. Um, it made me quite quite uncertain one of the days you know I hooked her I hooked her up to her passive exercise bike every single time and one of the days she had been rubbing her knee against the bike as it was going and there was I could see there was blood soaking through her pants so right away I ran over and I said oh my gosh I need to clean this right away we need to like apply something and she fought me and said no don't touch me don't do this so right away I knew that there was a bit of health risk and concern involved there and the way that I was comfortable working with somebody who was allowing a wound to be open made me feel a little bit liable and a little bit uncertain about that. But it also made me realize that even the caregivers that we have coming in every day, we have three women that come in um, during the days, during the morning to get down out of bed, get them dressed and get them showered. And that I'm just so grateful for to have them. We love them. We truly appreciate them. We consider them as like, we just know them so well. We're just very comfortable with them now. Um, I just feel that even when I share stories with those caregivers that are hired through a company here, and I ask them, how do you deal with managing and coping with other personalities when you're walking into homes? You know, as a caregiver, you're walking into homes of people you don't know. You don't know what's going to be there for you, who's going to be waiting for you. You don't know what kind of day they're having. And you're truly holding space for somebody else who's really reliant on you and dependent on you. You're the only person in that room with them. So you need to be very, you know, attentive, very focused, um, so it was, it brought up a lot of different conversation around that sort of um, how they managed that. And, and, you know, so I don't know, it was a very eye opening experience um, for myself. And I think I appreciated coming home um, and caring for my partner a little bit more. <laughs> but yeah. And it also shows like the value that is often just pushed aside of, you know, like we always say, the best caregivers are those who really care, where you're, you're invested in this person, you want them to be their best self, you want them to have everything that that they need, as someone who's injured, because you love them. And that's the thing, right. it's, it's we think it's like an asset, like we we don't understand why we're not paid, not given benefits, we relieve the healthcare system without any acknowledgement, when we are the best care like we care right um and it's like all about choice right yeah yeah and I just want to touch base just really quickly before the I, I wrap up that story is you know end of the day when I would leave and she I would put her back in bed and all that good stuff and and then I would lock up and I couldn't help but wonder like did I give her the remote control that I you know did I have did I put the phone close to her enough did I give her the water that I take out her or put in her mouth guard that she have what she needs because as well after I walk out that door she wouldn't be seeing somebody until 8 a.m and to be quite honest she was not a paraplegic she was definitely a quadriplegic with no arm function no no function whatsoever um, and the MS had kind of taken over her body so once she was in 
her bed, that's where she would stay until 8am the next following morning. And so even uh, getting getting in my car and driving home, yeah. like it would just kind of like spin in my head, like, did I do that? Did I lock the door properly? Like, is she going to be okay? She was in this big house by herself with a cat. You know, did I leave the cat nip out for the cat? Does the cat have water? So it's like, you kind of think about all these other things that that person requires, especially if somebody like that, she was only, she only got four hours from Cecil per day and she was paying for the rest of it out of her pocket. Man, that's crazy. Well, it all goes back to awareness and it all goes back to what needs to happen in order for people's minds to shift their perspectives. I think with awareness and with kind awareness, these changes can be made, which is why a big reason why we started WAGS of SCI and why we're campaigning so hard um, to have caregivers' rights um, improved in all aspects of society, but also our partners. Like, I mean, disability rights. I mean, the disability rights bill was passed so long ago that it's ancient now. And it's human rights too, right? But I feel like, Mm -hmm. how many times, Elena, have you been eye-rolled or like just talk to like you're a nuisance for requesting something that Dan needs or that you needs, right? Like it happens to me all the time. Yeah. And you feel, you kind of feel bad. Like even if I go into a restaurant beforehand, just to check things out, like I feel like everybody is looking at you now. Everybody's looking at you. They look up from their plates and their tables. And then it's like, you walk into the restaurant with your wheelchair, you have to move all these chairs. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, there's not a lot of places that are like, yeah, come this way. And like, you get, you get sat like every other, um, every other guest that comes in, every other patron that comes in, it's a big shuffle. It's like, we're gonna have to rearrange the entire restaurant for you and ask people to move as they're sitting there eating their meals. And it's just so frustrating. I know that one time you, me and Evan even went out to the blue martini here in Vancouver and we had to use the back door and then we had to get everybody to scoot over and we had to ask somebody to move out of the place they were sitting in because that was a accessible spot. So they had to physically get up and move over. I, I, you know, I can't help but wonder if everybody in the disabled community and their partners went out and stopped caring about what people thought of them and stopped wanting to tiptoe around literally or uh, around the situation. So they don't cause, you know, a, a situation or, or attention, more attention being drawn to them that than already is. I'm wondering how different our world would be because we get all the time, like before COVID when Evan and I used to go out, like we would get all the time, like, Oh, you're out and about like, wow, we never have people in wheelchairs out here. It's so cute. And it's just like, why? Well, because they don't want to make a big deal. They can't, the access isn't there. They don't want to like force their, you know, their needs on people because it's, it can be embarrassing for a lot of people, especially if you don't have that personality that is like, yay, we're going to make it happen. And you're not easily intimidated like you and I if you have a personality that's a little bit shy, you don't want to draw that attention to yourself. You And and that's why you still get the eye rolls. You still get the, oh, they're making a scene because of the disability. But when you think about it in the eyes of that person rolling their eyes, it's because that awareness isn't there. It's because they don't know what it's like to be you. And, you know, when you were talking about in your story earlier about your reaction and like how you had to work on that, it's, it's interesting because it, the buildup, not just during Dan's injury, but just over the years, the buildup of frustration, like 
our lives are difficult as they are. That whole mentality of like, our lives are so difficult. I, I can't handle another difficulty without having a little bit of a meltdown because of those reasons, because of the struggle, right? And people don't understand that. People see it as like, oh, they're freaking out because the table isn't accessible. It's like, no, sometimes we have those reactions because it's just so difficult trying to always make your case, prove your case, fight for what you need because we're cast aside, right? And so how do you prevent that from happening in future generations? Well, all you can do is use your voice and educate and try your best to just understand the other person's perspective that they don't see what you see and they will never see what you see because it doesn't personally affect them. Absolutely. And I feel like that's where the resentment piece came in for me over the holidays is that I I was really confronted with the very real reality that everybody else gets to go on with their lives. And I and I think that people don't understand that when your partner sustains a spinal cord injury it's like all you have is time and you're sitting and you're waiting you're waiting for things to become easier you're waiting for your partner to feel well enough to do things on their own or together going out for outings but you you know I kind of looked back I was like wow like five years has passed and I'm thinking in five years like what how long did it take him to like truly recover for the spinal cord to stop the swelling you know um, around the spinal cord and stuff and I'm just thinking everybody else continued on with their lives you know they bought houses they got married they got engaged they got new careers they got you know renovated their house they did this they went traveling they did all this stuff and then I'm just kind of thinking why why are these feelings coming up for me that those feelings of just absolute resent of seeing everybody around me and it's something that I think you know you have to address and like you said when it comes to access the best way to have awareness is with love and doing it really nicely and and um you know working on that delivery because I know that also if I was in the position of being that person parked in an accessible spot and I'm sure I have many times like let's not forget that before our partner's injuries we were definitely on the flip side of that um is that i would have liked somebody to knock on my window and just like hey do you mind moving your car or not somebody you know coming over to me and just raging so there's also a different uh way to deliver that message as well something very important to keep in mind yeah and so i think from my perspective the takeaways from all of this is number one Don't take it personally. I feel like in both scenarios, people take it personally. Like if you're bringing something up about lack of accessibility, they take it personally. They take it as like an attack on them or an attack on their establishment or, and they get, they put their back up. It's almost like defense mode and then vice versa. You know, we take it personally when we aren't listened to, when we aren't heard. I think if we take that out of the equation, just realize that everyone's doing their best according to where they are, they may be distracted, they may not know, there may be no awareness there. But at the end of the day, they're doing their best. Regardless, I think everyone's doing their best. I don't think people do these things on purpose. In fact, I know they don't. But it's it's so hard, like, and use the example of like, the accessibility at Dan's place. It's like, a big lesson there is if you don't advocate for yourself in an educational way, what happens is people won't know what you need 
they just won't know. They, they won't, won't know see that it. there's an issue. Yeah, yeah. They, they won't see it. And that's your responsibility as a disabled person, as a caregiver, as an advocate in the community is it's like, yeah, it can be a pain to get outside of your box and say, listen, I'm being vulnerable right now. This is what I need right now. And this is what is going to make my life easier, my caregiver's life easier. And this is what I need. But at the end of the day, no one's going to know unless you speak up and say, listen, this is what I need, right? And that goes for everybody. That goes for every situation and every aspect of life. If you don't say something, no one will know because they're in their own world. They're in their own bubble. They're thinking with their perspective from their two eyes from what they've seen. They don't know what it's like to live with a disability. They never will until it affects them. And even people that are close enough to us, like family, still don't see those things because they can't they whether they don't want to or they just they can't and they they just can't figure it out or they don't see it they don't have that perspective so education 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 right that's right that's the way you do it so to wrap this up you guys know our ambassador rebecca mina she runs for the love of parking you can hook up with her on instagram facebook and always use the hashtag don't park like a punk when you see somebody parking like a punk so don't forget you guys to use that hashtag spread awareness with love first and foremost with love then you can do whatever you wish. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if any, if anyone has any feedback about this discussion from their perspective and want to contribute, you can always email us wagsofsci at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. We're always online at wagsofsci. You can also visit our website, wagsofsci.com and send us a little email. We'd love to discuss this topic. We'd love to hear more perspectives on this issue as it's very important. Again, this is only a 50 minute ish podcast. So we definitely can't get in as much as we want to get in because this is a huge topic, but we will be addressing more of these things and using our own personal stories when it comes to access in the future. Um, we'd also like to give a huge thank you to this episode's sponsors, uh, Wish Art Brain and Spine Law, as well as Camp Possibility. And then, of course, Rebecca Minna for the love of parking. We want to give a big shout out to her and all her advocacy efforts and what she's doing to make the world a better place. Absolutely. So if you guys need to hook up with us again, don't forget, we have our private discussion group on Facebook called the Wags of SEI private discussion group. And feel free to send us any more submissions of your love stories. We're always collecting those to post up on our Instagram. So have a beautiful week ahead. Cheers. Cheers. and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website wagsofsci.com or donate directly to the Wags of SCI Go Fund Me page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.